so excited to be. I've been working all day on this pie. Can't believe it. Bring forth your desserts. I do hope I win this year. Me too. Hey, y'all, Harvey. Here you go, Mr. Harvey. Oh, he's trying mine. Best of luck to all of us, then. I brought my super special peach pecan pie. It's a glorious thing. It's swimming with pecans and loaded with peaches. It's sugary and crunchy and simply delightful. Oh, babe, he's trying yours. Now, Francis, I'm sure your peach pecan pie is a fearsome thing to behold. It truly is. And be in tune. I'm sure you are extraordinary pie makers in your own right. Well, Miss Esther. Thank you for saying so. But you see, my pie is a secret family recipe that has been passed down the line for generations. My grandfather's grandfather's grandfather ate it. My, grandfa my grandmother made it with my grandmother, grandmother's grandmother. <sighs> yeah. It's a good pie. So you see, turning up your nose at my pie is like turning up your nose at generations of my family's recipes. That so? <coughs> I just can't believe it. I'm now ready to announce the winner of the 12th annual oh Cascade God. Falls by pie baking, pie baking Contest. In third place, we have the lovely Miss Beatrice. In second place, we have the talented Miss June. Oh, Me? How wonderful! I guess it's just us. Oh, I'm sure and in first place, the blue ribbon is absolutely delicious pie. The lovely and talented and beautiful and charming Miss Frances. Oh, yes. Thank you, it's delicious. Oh, I love peaches. Harvey, you can keep it. Thank you. Congratulations. Second our contest of but, 12th Mr. Harvey, didn't my pie win anything? Well, we only have three awards, Miss Esther. Yes, but my pie is a secret family recipe, been passed down for generations. Didn't you like it at all? Well, not at all, Miss Esther. Oh! The pie was dry when it should have been moist. Can you do that? Now? Moist oh, when it should have been dry. It was tasteless and spiceless. Oh. And it had a flavor I didn't much care for. I mean, the crust stuck to the top of my mouth, and it was greasy. Pies ain't to be greasy. My. And the, the fillings got cut, stuck in my teeth. Well, and it had a smell. It was disgusting. Oh. oh. But it's a secret family recipe. Good. See that it stays a secret. <gasps> oh! We'll all be happier. Oh, you want some pie, Miss Esther? Miss Esther, put the pie get down. Pie in your face. Miss Esther, think that. Let's try the pie again. Put the pie down, Miss Esther. Thank you, Miss Esther. Come here, Mr. Harvey. Miss Esther, I can't believe you didn't stop my pie like that, Mr.
my temper get away with me. Your temper, Miss Esther? You're a fiend. <gasps> Mr. Go help Harvey. Welcome to the last weekend of packing heat. I'm going to talk to myself this morning, and if you want to listen, that's okay. Because today I want to talk about my issue. Uh, last week I talked about it. We had a message called Vendetta, and we were talking about carrying anger, like holding a grudge. That's not my deal. For one thing, I'm ADD. It's hard for me to remember what happened yesterday. <laughs> and for some reason, I, I just don't carry grudges. I mean, that's just not who I am. I, I get over stuff. But my problem is with anger is like something can come along and it just like gets me, gets, you know, catches me wrong. And then I, you know, I kind of react and, and I kind of like blow up, maybe just on the inside. I mean, it could be that people around me don't have any idea what's going on. I mean, God has been good to me and I've learned a lot about self-control. And probably only those who are closest to me can tell when I'm really angry. But I mean, because I'm on the outside, I'm not, I'm not really doing anything. But on the inside, I'm like, oh. But in the past, you know, I struggled with with like keeping control when like something would hit me just wrong and somebody would do something stupid. I, I have a type A personality. I don't suffer fools gladly. I don't have any pastels in my personality. There's just nothing but bright colors, and I don't understand why people just insist on doing stupid stuff. It just makes no makes no sense to me. And and so it's just my nature to like mm, to get upset and to feel it, and then maybe, maybe say something that's unwise. And what I've discovered is this. I've discovered that with anger, I can become temporarily insane. You know, because when I'm angry, I'm like thinking in ways that I don't usually think. I can actually talk in ways I don't usually talk. Um, we know what our world is like. Sometimes that happens with people that that use alcohol to excess and they get drunk. And, you know, because they're drunk, they're temporarily insane. They're acting in ways they don't normally act. They're doing stuff that's not even in their best interest. And, and they're, you know, talking like they don't usually talk. Same thing with drugs. I mean, that's the problem with drugs. You know, somebody's hopped up on meth, they're behaving in a way they don't normally behave. They're, for a while, temporarily insane. Well, the thing about anger is it has the same kind of power that alcohol and drugs have because for just a moment, it can cause us to be temporarily insane. But I know how we are. You know, the idea is, well, Mark, this is what happens with me. You know, something just hits me wrong, and I just kind of lose it, and I say stuff, but then I calm down, and then I'm okay, and it doesn't matter. Everything is just fine. Well, my question for us today is, is it really just fine? 
Because when we, when we get angry and we're temporarily insane and we say things that are different than the way we normally talk and do things that are different than the way we normally act, isn't it true that there are usually repercussions? Well, one thing, we hurt ourselves. Like I said a few moments ago, I mean, you know, I can control my temper. I don't lose it. I don't, I mean, God has been good to me. I don't say things very much when I'm angry. But what happens is it like, it's like hitting me on the inside. And between us, just keeping it real here, I have a little blood pressure issue that I'm guessing has just been through the years, sort of just, mm, you know, something catches me wrong. Angered that we do damage to ourselves. Some of us know what it's like, you know, to sort of act out in a way in which we're angry at somebody else, but we don't do damage to other people. We do damage to ourselves. I was watching a pro football game several years ago, and, and there was a coach on the sidelines, had a cast on his wrist and his hand. And I thought, wonder what happened to him. Well, the week before, he was unhappy about a loss. Rammed his fist into a locker. How many of you know that's not smart? I mean, clearly he's not going to do that. He's just not going to walk into the clubhouse one day and say, hey, I feel like ramming my fist into the wall. Because he knows that's not in his own best interest. He's acting out of character, temporarily insane. But he hurt himself. Others of us do other things when we're angry that we, do, we bring damage to ourselves. And then sometimes we do damage to other people. Did you know that you're 150 times as likely to be the victim of an assault relational to anger than would be relational to someone trying to take your personal property? 150 times more likely to be the victim of an assault. 75% of child abuse is anger-related. And I'm sure that you don't need me to tell you this. You don't need the statistics of some expert to tell you that most of spousal abuse is relational to anger. But I know us. Most of us would never do anything. We would never hit someone. We would never hurt one of our children. We would never threaten or hurt a spouse. I mean, we would not go to that level. But how many of us do damage with this little piece of tissue inside our mouths? The Bible says the tongue is set on fire of hell. And just so that we remember that, God encased it in a liquid solution. And, and what happens is when we, when we have this temporary insanity, the problem is, is that, you know, it usually goes right to our mouths and we wind up saying things. 50% of marriages end in divorce. I'm not going to talk about that. We'll talk about that another weekend. But, but I honestly believe that so many divorces can be traced back to anger. And a lot of times something bad will happen. There'll be infidelity or there'll be something. But to me, I think that's more symptom than it is cause. What often happens in a marriage relationship or even a dating relationship is that we get angry. You know, the person that we're in this relationship with, the person we're married to will say something or do something that will just catch us wrong. And the next thing, you know, we're talking, we're temporarily insane. We're saying things we don't really believe. We're acting in ways that we don't really, are not really consistent with who we are. Um, I've been married for 31 years to a wonderful lady, but I know where her buttons are and I know how to push them. And she knows where my buttons are and she knows where to push them. Thankfully, she's much better at this than I. But, you know, I, here's what I've discovered. And again, I'm just talking to myself and, and letting you in on it today. And, and maybe there's somebody here that's going to, like, ex- have some experience like this, and you'll re- it'll resonate with you. But what happens sometimes, and when I would get into an argument with Mary Alice, I, I get off the subject. How many of you have, like, gotten into an argument with your, with your husband or wife, and, and, like, when it's all over, you say, well, that, what were we talking about? It's like World War III, and it's like, it started over, where are we going to eat tonight? And as long as we had stayed on the subject, it wouldn't. But what happens is, you know, we, we get into this argument, we get, and something, you know, causes us to, like, lose it. 
And the next thing you know, we're saying things we don't really believe. And so, you know, I know how to push your buttons. I know where you're vulnerable. I know, you know, what to say in order to get you upset. And so the other person knows what to say, and it just keeps escalating and escalating. And, and again, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. Some of you are saying, but Mark, that's just life. That's just stuff. And, you know, we make love, and we kiss, and we make up, and it's just fine after that. But is it really fine? You see, here's what I want to say to all of us starting with me today. Yeah, we can, get, we can get mad and we can calm down and we can say everything's fine, but there are repercussions to anger. Isn't it true that if you're married, if you're in a dating relationship, isn't it true that a lot of your personal security and a lot of your self-esteem comes from the person that you're married to? I mean, I, I have the privilege of talking to nearly 2,500 people every weekend here at New Spring and thousands of people on television. Do you know whose opinion I care about most? Mary Alice's. And I care much more about how Mary Alice feels about me than I care about how anybody except God feels about me. I mean, what she feels about me has a whole lot to say about how I feel about myself. And I know it's the same for her. She cares about how I feel about her. Well, what happens is oftentimes we get into an argument and it escalates and we start saying things that are off the subject and they're just calculated to do damage. And then we kiss and we make up and we think everything's fine. But what happens is after all the sound and fury die down, there's a wife somewhere who says, now I know how he really feels about me. There's a husband who says, now I know how she really feels about me. And it isn't true. We were just in the heat of the moment. We were temporarily insane. We just said stuff calculated to do damage, but it just keeps echoing and echoing and echoing. And that's the problem with anger. I mean, we do damage to ourselves. We do damage to other people. We're acting out of character, and then there, there, there are repercussions and there are things that come back to haunt us. So I want us to think about that today because... What I'm concerned about is I'm concerned that we'll just like make this a habit of life and because we get over it, we feel like everything's just fine. Today, I want to take you back in history to look at the story of a man in the Bible who was one of the greatest people in Scripture. If there was a Mount Rushmore for the Bible, you would see this guy on Mount Rushmore because he was, I believe, the greatest person, leader in the Old Testament. God loved him very much. In fact, the only human being, as far as we know, outside of our Lord Jesus, who was himself God, but the only person who had a face-to-face relationship with God was this guy named Moses. A little background, because I want to get you caught up. That way you have context for what we're going to read in a few moments. When God called Moses and gave him the job of leading the Israelites from Egypt into what the Bible calls the promised land or Canaan, Moses didn't want the job. I mean, after all, Would you want the job of taking two and a half, three and a half million people through a desert to a place that you hadn't been to before? And so he didn't want the job, and he did everything he could to talk God out of the job. And finally God said, Moses, if you don't take the job, I'm going to kill you. And Moses said, all right, I got it. And and then, you know, God did all the stuff and the plagues and things that got the Israelites out of Egypt. And and it took 40 years, but, but it didn't have to. It should have only taken a few months. Because Moses was leading a very stubborn people, and they got right to the border of Canaan, and they looked over, and they saw that there were you know, giants, and they were scared they wouldn't be able to take the land, and they choked at a moment of destiny. And God said to Moses, okay, the, the people who choked, that whole generation is not going to go, because I don't want chokers in the promised land. So he said, they're going to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, it wasn't Moses' fault, but he had to be their leader. I mean, When you're leading people in circles, that is no fun for the leader. It's no fun for the people. And beyond that, they were in the desert. And so it was just this 
there was this incredible tension on Moses' part to lead these people. And, and they just kept like pushing Moses' buttons because they knew how to push his buttons. And they would say things like, why are you leading us here? Why did you bring us out of Egypt? Well, it wasn't Moses. Moses didn't want the job. It was God. And then they would say things like, man, you said you were going to take us to a land that flowed with milk and honey. And man, there's nothing out here but cactus. And you just brought us out here to kill us. They were always on him, always on him, always on him. But for some reason, by the grace of God, Moses was able to just deal with it. He just continued leading them. He just kept his cool and kept his calm. And day after day, they would, they would get on him, and Moses would just, like, keep his cool. In fact, there were times, a couple of times, when God said, I'm going to just nuke them all. And Moses said, please don't do that, God. You know, if you're going to kill somebody, kill me. Man, what a, what a man. You know, what a leader. And he was saying, God, if you kill all these people, all your enemies are going to hear about it, and they're going to ask, why did you kill your own people? So Moses actually interceded for them. Of course, I don't think God ever intended to do that. I think God nudged the angels and said, that's my boy. See why I called him? That just, it was great for a long time. But we come to a text today where Moses went temporarily insane, did something stupid, and he didn't get to fulfill his destiny. Now, guys, I want to tell you something. This is why this has my attention. I love what I do. I have the greatest job in the world. I get to be the leader of New Spring Church. I love you guys. I've watched God from from the time I was 28 years old. I've had the privilege of, of leading at New Spring. And I've watched God do incredible things. I've had front row seat for miracle after miracle after miracle. But between us, I don't think we've seen anything yet. I mean, this place just keeps, I mean, you know, I'm just holding on for the ride. And I'm having the time of my life. I would hate in a moment of anger to do something where God would say, Mark, you can't have the cherry on the Sunday. I want everything God has for me. And I want, to, I, want, I want to experience everything God has for me to experience. So I want to learn here because, I mean, here's the deal. You say, well, Mark, you're a pastor. Surely that wouldn't happen to you. This happened to one of the greatest human beings who ever lived, Moses. And, and you say, well, Mark, you know, that's, you know, through the years, you know, you've been level-headed and you've been good. You've been, well, well, maybe so. But see, here's the deal. We, in anger, we can do something foolish And in the moment of of temporary insanity, we can lose God's perfect destiny. And and I think the same thing is true of you. I mean, you don't want to lose your destiny. You you don't want to mess up your family. You don't want to mess up your life. Because anger, it's like drugs. It's like alcohol. It has a way, for some crazy reason, anger can lead us to act in ways that are out of character and do things that are not even in our own best interests. Well, let's read it. I want to just read the text to you. I'm reading out of the message this morning. This is in Numbers chapter 20. And uh, let's just read the story, then I'll go back and talk about it. In the first month, the entire company of the people of Israel arrived in the wilderness of Zin. Miriam died there. Just keep that in mind. Miriam died there, and she was buried. Keep that in mind. There was no water there for the community, so they ganged up on Moses and Aaron. They attacked Moses. We wish we died when the rest of our brothers died before God. Why did you haul this, let me read that again. Why did you haul this congregation of God out here in the wilderness to die, people and cattle alike? And why did you take us out of Egypt in the first place, dragging us into this miserable country? Remember, it wasn't Moses' fault they were there. They choked at a moment of destiny, and God said, you got to stay here. But they're, they're getting after Moses. 
No grain. You said it's going to flow with milk and honey. No grain, no figs, no grapevines, no pomegranates. Now not even any water. Moses and Aaron walked from the assembled congregation to the tent of meeting. That's where they went to meet with God. And threw themselves face down on the ground, and they saw the glory of God. God said to Moses, take the staff. Assemble the community. You and your brother Aaron, speak to that rock that's right in front of them, and it will give water. You will bring water out of the rock for them. Congregation and cattle will both drink. Moses took the staff away from God's presence as commanded. Notice there's a period there. He and Aaron rounded up the whole congregation in front of the rock. Moses spoke, listen, rebels, do we have to bring water out of this rock for you? With that, Moses raised his arm and slammed his staff against the rock. Once, twice, water poured out. Congregation and cattle drank. Verse 12. God said to Moses and Aaron, because you didn't trust me, didn't treat me with holy reverence in front of the people of Israel, you too aren't going to lead this company into the land that I'm giving them. Ouch. After all this time, after all these years of great leadership, after all these years of suffering, you're not going to be able to fulfill your complete destiny. Now somebody could say, well, maybe Moses is just a hot-headed guy. But look at what the Bible says in Numbers 12, verse 3. The Bible says Moses was a quietly humble man. The Bible says he was the most meek man in all the earth. What that means was he was able to absorb. Heads up, every leader in the congregation right now, whether you're a manager, whether you lead a team, if you run a corporation, let me just talk to every leader. If you coach, I'm going to talk to every leader for a moment. Your greatness is not measured by what you're able to accomplish. It's measured by what you're able to absorb. Leaders have to absorb. That's just the nature of leadership. A lot of people who aren't leaders say, oh, I'd love to be a leader. Because all people see who are like that, they see the power. What they don't understand is that leadership is the most expensive of all commodities. A leader gives more than anybody else. And the challenge for a leader is to be able to take it, to take it. And what the Bible says is more than any human being on the planet, Moses took it. He just absorbed it. When people criticized, when people found fault with him, he just took it. So see, Moses now is temporarily insane. He's acting out of character. He's angry. And because of his anger, there were ramifications, and he didn't get to fulfill his destiny. You curious to understand why this happened? I am. You see, I think if we don't take time to be students of, 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 of behavior and we don't understand what the spiritual ramifications are, if we're not careful, we'll fall in the same traps. What pushed uh, nothing pushed him, but what brought Moses to the place where he stepped over the edge? Let's run back the tape. Because Moses had had experiences like this, and he had passed the test with flying colors. But something had just happened. The Bible is The Holy Spirit has every word in God's word. When you have the Bible, you have God's holy word. Holy Spirit is trying to tell us something. The Bible says Miriam died. Who was Miriam. Moses' older sister. Remember when Moses was a baby? And the Pharaoh in Egypt had said that all the Jewish people, because Pharaoh was concerned that the Jews were proliferating too fast, so he went into some population control, and Pharaoh said that you know, all boy babies who were born to the Jewish people had to be you know, put into the river. Drowns what he meant, but Moses' parents parsed it out, and they put their son in the river, all right? They just put a little basket out there and put pitch so that it was watertight and floated him out there in the river. And yes, we've obeyed the law. We put our son in the river. And they put his older sister Miriam out to watch it. And Miriam was there when the Pharaoh's daughter came and rescued Moses, and the rest is history. 
But Miriam, his older sister, had been there all throughout his life, and he adored her. And the Bible says she died. Let me tell you what I've learned about anger, guys, please. You're listening to a guy who's made many mistakes when it comes to anger. I have learned that I'm susceptible when I'm drained, when I'm tired, and I'm going through a hard time, and somebody does something deliberately stupid. Boy, that's when I have to watch it. His sister had died, and then the Bible says she was buried. Okay, ears perk up. Where was she buried? She was buried in the desert. They dug a hole in that desert, wrapped Moses' sister's body up, and put her in the ground in the desert. No marker. I mean, the one thing about sand, sand has always been someplace else. And Moses understood as he presided over that funeral, over his beloved sister, that her body would, her, her grave would not be marked by any kind of stone. It was just an empty spot in the desert. And people would walk over that place and not even know where they were. And the wonderful woman who was buried there, and clearly he looked back on these people and the difficulty they had been and the way they choked on God. And it was their fault that he was out there in the desert. And he looked at the fact that his sister's body was going to be buried in a place where she wouldn't even be remembered. And that was tough to take, but he took it. But then they let loose on him, and the Bible says they ganged up on him. And Moses became temporarily insane. Well, what happened next? Moses and Aaron, they go into the place where they talk to God, which is called the temple. It's the place where the ark was and this place where they went in. It wasn't the Holy of Holies, but it was a special place where they went in. And and they, they had a conference with God. And God came and he talked to them about what to do. Now, let me just tell you something. Here's something else that I've learned when I'm temporarily insane. I don't listen very well. Anybody else like that? I mean, I try to listen, but all I can hear is I'm mad, I'm mad, I'm mad. And so Moses is mad, you know? I mean, he's like going in there to listen to God, but at the same time, boy, there's something crying out from the inside. These people are just like, they always do the same thing and they're criticizing me and all this. So he goes in and he listens and and God begins to talk to Moses and God is saying, now Moses, Here's what you need to do. Take your staff. That's all Moses needs to hear. Because see, once before they were in a similar situation, and they didn't have any water, and God said, take your staff, tap the rock, and water will come out. So here's Moses. He's he's trying to listen to God, you know, and God is saying, take your staff. And from that point on, it was just like the teacher in Peanuts. You ever hear the cartoon, you know, wah, wah, wah. I mean, he he doesn't hear the rest of it. Take your staff. That's all he needs to do. He's going to go out. He's going to hit the rock. But in the meantime, what God is saying is take your staff, go out there, speak to the rock. Speak to the rock, and water will come out. Moses didn't didn't catch that part. He's too mad. He goes out, and what he does, he takes his rod, and he strikes the the rock twice. And the Bible tells us in the book of 1 Corinthians, I want to read this to you in chapter 10, the Bible says the rock was Christ. I don't understand exactly what the Bible means there. Is is it symbolic? Was Christ? Was the rock symbolic of Christ? I don't know that God is spirit. I mean, did God indwell that rock and pour water? I don't know. We get to heaven, we'll find that out. But what we do know is Paul said the rock was Christ. Guys, I've been there. I've been angry about something that happens in life. And the next thing I know, I'm turning that anger on an innocent person. Maybe, maybe one of my children, maybe I'm, I'm, I just, you know, find something that my kid does and I'm agitated by it. And I'm saying, okay, and, I, and I'm like talking to my kid about what he's doing wrong. But really what's happening is I'm angry at something else 
That's what Moses was doing. Or how many of us, life hasn't worked out for us, and we get angry at God? See, Moses struck out at God. He was angry at the people. I don't know. I've, I've been curious about this. I mean, if Moses just taken his rod and cold-cocked one of those people that was mad at him, I don't know. Maybe he would have gone to the promised land. I have no idea. <laughs> but he struck out at an innocent person. He struck out at God. There are people like that maybe here today. You know, your marriage didn't work out. I'm angry at God. I don't even like to go to church anymore. I'm angry at God. Well, what did God do? I mean, God loves you. God sent his son to die in your place. Moses poured out his anger on God, and because of that, the Bible says that he didn't get to go to the promised land. Here's what I want to get across to all of us. If you get temporarily insane in anger, the moment will pass, but the pain won't. How many of you, maybe some of you here, you, you act out when you get angry. How many of us have broken property? Because, see, anger is not a constructive emotion. When we get really angry, we don't like go out and build something. We break something, right? How, how, I mean, how, how many of you have you know, been angry and you broke a dish or you broke a vase or something and you're thinking, oh, that was really expensive. I wish I hadn't done that. How many of you have been on the golf course, you know, and you just like, <laughs> it wasn't a good putt, and all of a sudden, $90 ping putter, just like that. Now, I want you to look at this. Moses is like having this conversation with God, and, and I don't have time to, to just really flesh this out like I'd like to, but I, I kept reading Numbers and Deuteronomy, and it seems like Moses just kept talking to God after this happened, and, and I, I don't, I'd love to have caught this conversation. Maybe God kept it for us, and we'll hear it when we get to heaven, because Moses just kept talking to God. And I think it was something like this. You know, God, that thing that happened the other day, you know, when I hit the rock, and you said I couldn't go in the promised land. You're just kidding about that, right? You're just trying to get my attention, Right? Right? I mean, can I do something? Can I do some community service or something? I mean, can I, can I just do something? Because, God, I mean, after all, you called me for this job, and, and, and now you're telling me I can't go. Surely, God, would you give me one more chance? And yet God said no. In fact, you know, um, at one point, and this is in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 23, Moses said to God, God, my master, you let me in on the beginnings. Please let me in also on the endings. Let me cross the river and see the good land. And he talks about how great it's going to be. But Moses says to the people, God was still angry, and he wouldn't listen. And this is what God said to Moses. Enough of that. Not another word from you on this. Moses kept asking God, give me one more chance. And God finally said, don't say anything more about this. Now, in the keeping it real department, I grew up in church. I grew up hearing this story. You know what my reaction was to this? I don't understand. I mean, it's like all these people do all these wretched things, and God just keeps taking care of them, and Moses screws up one time, just one time. Moses loses it one time. And God says, that's it. You're not going to the promised land. But God has a take on people who get angry. And if you're like me and you struggle with anger and you struggle with keeping your cool and you struggle with trying to control yourself when you're not happy, you and I really need to listen to what God says about anger. In Proverbs 19, verse 19, the Bible says, hot-tempered people must pay the penalty. That's how God feels about it. Hot-tempered people must pay the penalty. You notice it doesn't say hot people 
hot-tempered people get six or eight warnings, and then they have to pay the penalty. God says it's just necessary. It is necessary for hot-tempered people. They have to pay the penalty. Why? Because God says if you rescue them once, you'll have to do it again. When I started talking about anger today, I compared it to two things, right? Do you remember what I compared it to? I compared it to alcohol. I compared it to drugs. What's the problem with alcohol and drugs? Well, you could say, well, Mark, the problem is it it makes you act out of character. It causes you to do things that are not in your best interest and other people's best interest. That's right. But the big problem with alcohol is that if you keep indulging in it and going over the line and becoming drunk, it is addictive in nature. What does an alcoholic say? What is an alcoholic? What is one of the prime what is one of the prime statements that you can know that you're talking to an alcoholic? Is he says, I can quit whenever I want to. See, that's the problem with alcohol. It's addictive in nature. What's the problem with drugs? Because you can say, well, hey, man, Mark, drugs are good for me. I get hopped up. And, you know, I take meth so I can, I can stay up two or three days. And then, you know, I take something so I can come down and crash. And, yeah, I mean, Mark, that's, drugs are what allow me to function. So are they good? No. Because drugs will make you act out of character. It'll cause you to do things that are not in your best interest and other people's best interest. But another problem with drugs is they're addictive. I, I had wonderful parents who taught me many things. And by the grace of God, I've never used alcohol. I've never used drugs. And I give all credit to God and my parents for that. But anger is a drug. You hear me today? Anger is a drug. You say, well, but Mark, I calm down. That's like a person who uses drugs saying, well, I I get high and I get low and it works for me. And here's what God knew about Moses. At this moment, you know, Moses is feeling it. I mean, he's acting out. He's like giving full vent to his rage. And it probably for just a moment felt good to do what he had felt like doing for a long time. And God was saying, Moses, I've got to let you pay the penalty Because if I don't, you'll become an addict. And for some of us, we just keep paying the penalty, and we keep paying the penalty for what we say, and even what we don't say, but internalize it, it affects our bodies, and we just keep paying the penalty. Are you as curious as I am to some keys to winning this battle? Let me teach you some things that God has taught me. Number one. And, and I would just encourage you, there's a book in the Bible that's just full of wisdom. I, I've appealed to it a couple of times today. There's a book called Proverbs, and it's all about wisdom. There are 31 chapters in Proverbs. Someone has said what you should do is you should read the chapter of Proverbs that corresponds to the day of the month and read it every day. It's a great idea. But one thing that Proverbs teaches us is forethought. Oftentimes what happens in an angry moment is that we don't think ahead. And we don't think about where this is going to leave us tomorrow. You can say, well, man, I feel like screaming at my wife because my wife pushed me over the edge, and so I'm just screaming at her, and I feel good about it. But forethought says, but I love this woman, and I want her to know how much I love her, and we're going to be married tomorrow. I love my husband, but now I feel like cutting his head off. But if you cut his head off, you'd be in jail tomorrow, and, you know, You see what I'm saying? Forethought looks ahead. Forethought weighs. When we get angry, that's what the problem is. We don't weigh things. We don't think about about what is the big picture. If Moses had thought about the big picture here, he'd have just done what God wanted him to do. He would have absorbed it like he was used to doing. But he didn't weigh things. 
Here's an issue that I've, I've dealt with through the years. How many times, you know, in a moment of anger, I didn't look at the whole picture. And then when I understood the whole picture, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, that really kind of made sense. Forethought ways looks at the whole picture. Forethought takes other people's feelings into consideration. Forethought allows for constructive response. Remember, anger is destructive. Forethought thinks about how can I solve this problem in a constructive fashion. A few moments ago, I talked about Proverbs. In Proverbs 22, 3, the Bible says, A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. I hope that I've earned some credibility with you through the years. I'm going to test that right now. Because what I'm going to say right now is going to sound so radical, some of you are going to say, I don't know if that's true. So here it is. You ready? Nobody can make you mad. Nobody can make you mad. Oh, yeah, my wife makes me mad. My husband makes me mad. My kids make me mad. My boss makes me mad. See, we teach ourselves to say that early on so that we'll have an excuse for our anger. Well, he made me mad. She made me mad. If somebody can make you mad, you've given them way too much power in your life. So I want, to give you, I want to give you an exercise. Try this the next time you start to say, he made me mad or she made me mad. Say, he hurt me. I chose to be mad. Ooh, that's not quite as much fun to say, is it? She agitated me. I just chose to get mad. My kids brought home a report card that wasn't good. I chose to be angry because that's true. No one can make you mad. Oh, yeah, there are going to be a lot of people who are going to stimulate you. To, and, 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 yeah, you could react in anger, and it might be considered legitimately done in, in the culture. But at the end of the day, in God's sight, nobody can make you angry. Number three, be careful about the people you hang with. In Proverbs 22, the Bible says, Don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people, or you will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. Heads up, every mom and dad in the room. Do you realize your kids don't have the privilege of obeying that verse? If you're a hot-headed dad, if you're a hot-headed mom, how how are your kids going to not associate with hot-tempered people if hot-tempered people is their dad or mom? They can't leave. See, this is why so many kids learn anger from home. You know, a, a recent poll stated that, we're not talking about people that, you know, are on the streets. College-educated men are going to tend to lose it three times a week. And I look at this statistic, and I thought, surely it's not true. But when, when moms are talking to their kids, and there's not like television or something else going on, when it's just directly moms talking to kids, statistics reveal that moms are likely to say a negative or an agitating statement every three minutes. And all the kids said, amen. No. Because you're the ones causing it. No, I didn't say that. You can't, you can't make Nobody can make you mad. Proverbs 29, verse 22, an angry person starts fights. Hot-tempered person commits all kinds of sins. So be careful who you hang with. You know, if you hang with angry people, their ways are going to have an impact on you. Finally, this, and this is one that's really big in my life, and God has really helped me with this. Find your security in Jesus. Run back the tape for a moment. What was it that caused Moses to like think about doing what he did. 
the people were challenging who he was. Listen, let me tell you something. Lord has helped me with anger a lot, but I'll tell you, if you really just, you know, want to punch my buttons, just accuse me of bad motives when I have good motives. I have a hard time handling that. You know, when I, when I mean the best and someone else insinuates that I mean the worst, that's what happened to Moses. Moses was there for them. I mean, he didn't want the job. And they were saying, you're just bringing us out here to kill us. And that's what happens with me sometimes. And, and part of that is, I think, and especially for all of you who are type A and all of you who are leaders, most of us, let's be honest, are very competitive. I am. I'm the kind of person, you can beat me, but you have to kill me first. That's true. You know what God has shown me? Listen, please. God has shown me that my security comes from him. My security doesn't come from other people thinking that I'm great. I mean, you guys are way, way, way too kind to me, and you you credit me with things that only God can do. And I always try to back away and remember that. My security comes from God. It doesn't come from what, you know, what people say and the kind things that they say and all that. And sometimes, here's the thing. You, you as a human being, it's going to be like the stock market. Sometimes you're going to be up in people's sight. Sometimes you're going to be down in people's sight. But ultimately, if you're a Christ follower, it's God who takes care of you. And I've learned that I don't have to win every argument. I don't have to be proven right on every point. I don't always have to have people see things the way I see things. God will take care of that. My security comes from God. Hey, thanks for listening to me talk to myself today on stage. In the last two services, I have had quite a few people say you were talking to me too. But you see, I, I don't want to miss the cherry on the top of the Sunday. I don't, want to full, I don't want to miss fulfilling what my ultimate destiny is. I want to ride the train and go full bore with God all the way until I get to fulfill every inch, every ounce of God's destiny for my life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've taught us today. Thank you for the privilege of talking about anger these last five weeks and teaching us from your word. Help us all, Lord, because every one of us deals with it at some level. And especially, Lord, help us, help those of us who are inclined to like let anger catch us in the moment. Help us to remember that there are ramifications. And Father, help us to look ahead and find our security from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Still bowing and still praying with me, please. Guys, I got to tell you this. What has helped me more than anything else is a deepening relationship with Jesus Christ. I know that sounds hyper-spiritual, and somebody would say, well, Mark, you're a pastor. I would expect you to say that, but it's true. The closer I get to Jesus, the better I am at dealing with anger. And you know, you can't get close to Jesus until he comes into your life. There are two kinds of people in our world. There are those who have received Christ and those who haven't received Christ. And I'm not talking about religion. A lot of people who are religious, but they've never really received Christ. The Bible says this in Romans 10, verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved or rescued. And it's not using magic words. It is just you understanding and me understanding that we've gone down the wrong road and that we've sinned against God, and there's no way that we can save ourselves. But Jesus loved us and died in our place and then rose from the grave, and he desires to be our Savior and King. And it's inviting him in. Every weekend, I stand before you, and I give you a chance to pray to receive Christ. And many do. But if that's not you, if you've never invited Christ in to live, could I just tell you that your battle against anger is, boy, it's pretty one-sided. But if you would invite Christ into your life, 
you would have more help than you could ever dream. And beyond that, you would have God with you every day and God's assurance of eternal life. I'm going to pray a prayer. These aren't magic words. These are words that just call out to God. And if you mean them from your heart, God will listen. God will answer your prayer. I'm going to pray it slowly so you have a chance to think about it. Jesus, I know I've done wrong. I've sinned against you. But I believe you died to save me. I believe you arose from the grave. Come into my life. Save me. And be my king. In Jesus' name, amen. You just prayed that prayer with me. You're the most important thing you've ever done in your life. Now, I know it happened quick, and you didn't have a whole lot of time to think about it. I want you to really understand the decision you just made. I want to give you a gift. This won't cost you anything, some DVDs, some great stuff to help you really understand what it means to follow Jesus. If you'll take your worship folder, part of it's detachable. All you need to do is put your name and address on this part right here. Check the box that says, I prayed with you to receive Christ. If you have your address on there, you can drop it in the boxes by the back doors or at the bottom of the staircase. I'll send you this packet in the mail this week, and you'll have it. And if you don't want to wait, you don't have to wait. Just bring your card back back to the middle where I'm pointing to guest services or New Spring Store. Give them the card. They'll give you this. You can take it home with you today. Just a few words about the next few weeks. Um, In the next few weeks, I'm going to be taking some vacation time and also um, preparing for a couple of exciting series, one coming up in August and one coming up in September. Uh, The series in August is called Identify. And I can't wait to get started on that. And I honestly believe the series in September will blow our minds. I'm just so excited about that. So I'm gonna be taking, I'll be off three weekends, and um, we'll, we're going to take some vacation time, and I'm going to get prepared for these series. And then also Mary Alice is uh, getting ready to start a new, new, uh, uh, another ministry that's going to link up with Starting Point, and that'll be starting, God willing, this September. So we're really excited about that. You're going to hear three fantastic speakers the weekends that I'm gone. Next week, actually, is a, a service, combined service, Kids World, and Autumn Service. Dan Kubish will be speaking next weekend. Lance will be speaking the following weekend. My son Jonathan will be speaking the weekend after that. And then I'll be back, God willing, the last weekend in July to close out the series that we're about to start. So I'm going to miss you guys, but please keep us in your prayers as we get prepped for the, for the fall. One thing I'm learning as I get older, it takes me a little while longer to recharge. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. But God bless you. I hope you guys have some wonderful weeks. And we'll see you at the end of, of July.